It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Jam-packed show for you over these next 60 minutes. We're going to preview three schools and multiple ways you can interact with us over the course of the program. 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show on our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. We take you up till 1 p.m. Eastern, and right off the top, we're going to start with the first of three schools that we're going to be putting under the microscope today as we inch closer to the NFL draft and to help break down the North Carolina State group of prospects. We are joined by their radio analyst, Tony Haynes. Tony, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Things are going great. I hope your listeners can understand my southern accent. <laughs> well, we can make it out crystal clear, so I don't think you need to apologize for anything, Tony. We have heard many dialects okay. and voices on this program. You're all good, and certainly appreciate you coming on the program. And let's start, obviously, with the most notable prospect out of NC State, somebody that, who knows, maybe could land with the Giants at number five, the offensive lineman Iki Akwanu who has yep. played at guard and tackle over the course of mm-hmm. his career, Tony. So I'm curious, from your time monitoring him and watching him, where do you see his ideal fit on the NFL level? Yeah, that's the interesting part to me. I know that, uh, generally speaking, at the NFL level, they want their tackles to be 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 Icky is 6'4", but you, you must remember that he's got a pretty impressive wingspan, which helps him kind of compensate for that mostly a tackle at NC State, and his offensive line coach, John Garrison, thinks he's great at tackle because he really likes playing in space. And he showed those skills off when he was at NC State when he was knocking linebackers and safeties and corners into next year. So he's a tremendous – he checks off the boxes, and I know that's kind of a cliche, but I know that uh, at the NFL Combine when they were interviewing him and trying to find if he has any skeletons in his closet – they probably didn't find anything because he's a high-character guy. He always plays uh, practices with enthusiasm. His voice is the voice you heard most often on the practice field over the last couple of years. He, drink, he brings a power of positivity every day, and he's going to represent any franchise um, that he ends up with in a class manner. But Torrey Holt once told me, and, and Torrey um, played with uh, Orlando Pace with the Rams, and yep. he said that Icky reminds him of Pace a little bit in that he's – a very nice, mild-mannered guy off the field. But once you get between the lines on Sundays, he wants to dominate. And that's pretty much what Icky is all about. And, uh, again, his personality off the field to his personality on the field, they don't seem to match up. But uh, he, he's a competitor when it comes to time to play football on game day. Well, Tony, full disclosure, I've been campaigning for the Giants to get him for months with their number five pick. So I'm a little biased when I talk about him. He truly is a mauler. Um, I love the fact that he's got 34-and-a-half-inch arms because that does mean that he's going to be looked at as a tackle by a lot of folks in the NFL. My curiosity to you is all I know is that he has played on the left side. If the Giants yes. were to take him at five, they're going to want him to play right tackle. 
How much of a transition do you think that's going to be for him? Not for him, um, because, you know, he's just one of those kids. His makeup is so that whatever they ask him to do, he's going to put in the work to become a left tackle or a right tackle, a left guard, or whatever it is they want him to be. And it's, it comes down to attitude. And, you know, the one thing that he really wanted to work on um, prior to last season were his pass sets. He wanted to get a little more impressive or a, a little more effective and consistent with his pass protection. And I think he accomplished that goal. So, you know, whatever is asked of him, he is going to take care of his business. And I mentioned his line coach, John Garrison. Uh, John played uh, offensive line at Nebraska when Frank Solich was the coach. And mm-hmm. They were playing at national championship games. And we know back then Nebraska was offensive line U. <laughs> and, yes. uh, and, and, yeah, and John, uh, John has schooled Icky uh, very well and prepared him for the next step. And Icky is coachable, and he wants to be coached because he wants to get better every day. So, whatever is asked of him, I think he'll 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 take it, take whatever that is, and run with it. Follow up question, Tony: If someone wanted to try to nitpick him apart and say, "Oh, this is the one thing he's got to clean up or polish up when he jumps to the NFL level," what do you think that would be? And I know you'll need a microscope to find it, but what would it be? Yeah. I think he'd probably tell you pass protection. I think he's constantly evolving in that area. Again, that was his number one priority going into last season. And, you know, in the ACC, we've got some pretty good pass rush ends and linebackers. And so he knew he had to be uh, an improved player in that area, or otherwise he was going to be exposed. So I, I don't like to speak for him, but I'm sure based on what he was thinking about last year and what he was prioritizing last year, I think that would probably be the one thing. Well, Tony, when you bring up the pass protection and you had mentioned that you thought he made a significant jump in that department from 2020 to 2021, and clearly we know his run blocking has been extremely consistent, but what specifically, if there are concerns about pass protection, that may be a slight red flag? Is it the struggles to maybe deal with some of those quick edge rushers? Is it spacing? What jumped out to you that maybe he has to fine-tune moving forward here? Well, that wingspan we talked about, the length of his arm certainly helps him. I think, it, again, it goes back to the footwork and his pass sets and, and getting where he needs to be quicker. And I think he accomplished those goals last year. And uh, I don't, I, I, it doesn't sound like to me that uh, the, the folks who really like him in the, in, in the National Football League have major concerns about that. I mean, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be discussed in the top five pick, I think, if he had some really big issues with that part of the game. You talked about his demeanor, Tony. Can you tell us something about him that we haven't seen on tape that will enhance his value to an NFL scout or a, an NFL program? Just the power of positivity. You know, I would walk through the gates of practice um, almost every day, and it wouldn't take long before you would hear Icky on the other side of the field getting guys pumped up. And he wanted his teammates to play with the same level of passion and energy that he likes to play with, whether that's on game day or uh, particularly on the practice field. And he just exudes uh, that positive attitude. He brings energy every day. And I think his, I think his teammates appreciate that and, you know, puts a little pressure on them to be the same way. And I think it's very contagious. So, you know, it goes beyond him just being uh, a very good individual player. Uh, he makes the guys with him, especially in the offensive line, better because they don't want to let him down, and they want their attitude to match up with his. And uh, he, he, just, he just does that on a consistent basis. 
Tony, last thing for me on Icky, what jumps out about his resume is not so much in terms of the X's and O's, but he was, from what I understand, the first true freshman to start at left tackle for the program since 2010. And I think in today's NFL, when we analyze prospects, sometimes the sample size is just so small. They flash for a year and you're like, is this going to be something that's going to translate to the NFL or do we need to see more? I mean, the fact that we're talking about when you look at him, you've got multiple years of starting experience, multiple years of college experience within a top Power 5 conference. How much do you think that bodes well for him in comparison to other players at his position that are now making the jump? Yeah, and it was really by necessity that he started as a freshman because, because of injuries and they didn't have a lot of depth on the offensive line. Uh, Coach Dorn was still in the process of building the program up. And while they really didn't want to have to start him as a freshman, he was the best option for them. Uh, but he didn't take that for granted. I mean, he would, again, he would listen to his position coaches and Coach Garrison, and every day he would be highly scrutinized. And he understood the criticism was uh, for his improvement long term. And so the, the ability to take coaching, the ability to take uh, criticism, um, he, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't have a net, negative response to that. He just wanted to be a better football player day in and day out. And, you know, how coaches, they say it all the time. We just need to get better every day. And some people just roll their eyes when they hear that expression. But Illy, uh, Icky went through the process, and he believed it. And, uh, and we see where he is now after all these years. Tony, let's uh, go to some of your other prospects because NC State does have some other guys who are certainly going to get some interest from the NFL. Um, there's a guy who I know he didn't put up big numbers, but, but Bam Knight uh, as a running back to me is rather intriguing. Uh, I know that, again, the, the measurables don't exactly explode off the page, but he did have a couple of kick returns, big-time ones yep. for touchdowns, and yep. he is extremely elusive with the football in his hands. Yep. Uh, there yep. are going to be coaches who are going to want to see him touch that football. I don't know what his role right. is going to be, but he's intriguing. Yeah, his numbers were only modest because they had a two-back rotation last year. You know, he and Ricky Person, who's also entering the draft, they were a two-headed monster, and they would alternate every two possessions. Between them, they combined for almost 1,400 yards. But he wasn't going to be a 25-30 carry-per-game guy. If he was, he probably would have rushed for 12, uh, 1,200 or 1,300 yards. Uh, but, you know, they, they felt like uh, at that position, they were going to be a better team if they alternated those guys and kept them fresh. But, um, you know, both uh, Person and Bam Knight are powerful runners. They run through arm tackles. They don't, not, you don't, in the, at the college level, anyway, they, they didn't go down one-on-one very much. Uh, Bam kind of separates himself, though, <clears throat> because not only does he have the power, but the uh, speed, the burst, the elusiveness that you mentioned, and that really did show up with his ability to return kickoffs. I think in his career he had three kickoff returns for touchdowns, including two last year. So, yeah, I, I think that um, – he has a really good chance, Bam does, because, again, he combines a little power with some wiggle, and he's got enough speed. If you're running kickoffs back with frequency like that, uh, that means, you know, whatever he shows up with a stopwatch, I don't know what it is, but he's one of those guys in, in football pads. He might be a little bit faster because nobody was catching him from behind when he ran back those kickoffs. I know that. <laughs> We're talking with Tony Haynes, NC State radio analyst. As a follow-up on the two running backs, you mentioned that Bam jumps out because of his special teams. 
when we look at running backs, pass protection always comes into play and also the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. It seems as if, Tony, Ricky Person was far more effective as a receiver than Bam Knight. How would you best assess the difference between the two in terms of receiving and pass protection? Yeah, I think Bam got better later in his career. I mean, he struggled to catch the football, and he struggled to hang on to the football earlier in his career, especially as a freshman. You know, he coughed it up a few times, but his ball security improved. And uh, yeah, I would say you're right. Ricky Person may be a little bit more effective as a pass catcher, but both of them bought into the concept of pass protection and understanding, you know, to be a, a really effective running back, you're also got to be good without the football in your hands. And uh, those guys really had a friendly competition. They pushed each other, and they understood that that rotation that they were a part of actually made them better and stronger. And so, again, the, the you know the individual yardage they put up is based on the fact that I guess they were averaging like 14 or 15 carries per game, both of them. Uh, I think oh, by I think yards per rush, both of them were at four plus. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be intrigued to see what what happens with both of those guys. Before we go, Tony, I want to get your impressions on one other player, wide receiver Amika Mezzi, who at mm-hmm. 6'2", uh, when we spoke quickly yesterday, uh, you had mentioned that he reminded you of, of another player from the program, but but I started thinking about it more. He reminds me of Orande Gadsden, who played with the yeah. Miami Dolphins, in that he may not be the fastest guy, he may not be the quickest guy, but, man, 50-50 balls or 95-5 balls if you throw them in his direction? Yeah. Well, he is the career receptions leader at NC State, which speaks volumes because we've produced players like Torrey Holt, Jericho Cotri, um, Jacoby Myers, a former first-team All-ACC player. He's at New England right now. Corin Robinson was a receiver here at NC State, was a great player, and uh, I think was going to be a, a great in the NFL, but he had some personal issues. So, you know, uh, NC State's known as quarterback U because of all the quarterbacks we put in the NFL. But, okay, there have been a lot of quality receivers that have come through here. You go back in the, the 70s, early 80s, guy, or back in the 80s, guy named Haywood Jeffries. Mm-hmm. And then uh, even further back than that, Mike Quick. So if you leave NC State as the all-time receptions leader, that's saying something. Uh, again, like you say, he, he's not going to blow up any stopwatches. Uh, he's really good in the short field and the red zone because of his ability to go get the football on fades against smaller corners. He's great at, uh, at um, back shoulder passes. I think he's kind of mastered the, the, the little tricks of the trade in terms of getting a little nudge to create some separation. He's very crafty, Tony. He's very he crafty. And show you on tape. He is a big, strong receiver. It's hard to get him held up at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, again, I think Mecca may end up being a back end of the rotation kind of guy on somebody's team at the receiver spot. And, you know, he'll have to have some buy-in in special teams for sure. He is Tony Haynes, who is the radio analyst for the Wolfpack, breaking down the NC State class. Tony, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to talking down the road. Thanks for joining us. Great stuff, Tony. I'm not sure if we may have lost Tony, but we certainly appreciate his analysis going over some of the running backs and wide receivers complimenting, of course, the likes of their star offensive linemen. And we have pretty much hit on a variety of the top offensive linemen thus far on this program. Obviously, we're going to continue to move forward with our preview 
as we'll have a number of other positions to highlight. But clearly the star of this class, Paul, it goes without saying, is Icky because of his power. You described him as a mauler. I think that's pretty much spot on. (laughs) He certainly can move guys on the ground attack. It's just a matter of, you know, how much can he continue to evolve in pass protection? But I thought Tony brought up a good point. A, if you're an NFL team and you're considering taking a guy within the top five, you're not overly concerned about that area. And B... It's not as if he's a finished product where there's no time to coach him and develop him. So I wouldn't be that alarmed or concerned. And he did make a significant jump in improvement in that category between 2020 and 2021. It's not as if you have multiple seasons where you saw similar results. Well, I would say this. From looking at the tape, he's a little bit sloppy with his pass protection technique to be a little more specific as to what Tony was saying. And I think the reason is he is so aggressive. I mean, I'm telling you, Lance, this guy just can't wait to hit people off the snap. And sometimes he gets overly aggressive and loses his pass set, loses his footwork, loses his punch position because he's so eager to attack the guy across from him. And that's where he's got to refine and polish his technique a little bit. It's the over-aggressiveness that, that is just coming from within within him. Now, I will say this. At the college level, he can get away with being a little bit sloppy in his technique because he's so big, he's so strong, he can manhandle. Even guys in his conference, it's not going to be that way at the NFL level. Okay, when you make a mistake in technique at the NFL level, there will be guys, especially the better players in this league, who will attempt to take advantage of that. So that's why he's going to need a little bit of elbow grease and a little bit of polish in his pass protection technique to get him to calm down a little bit when it comes to, to, to protecting that edge against the speed rusher. And just, hey, make sure you got a little bit more of your fundamentals down. Once that happens, this guy is going to be absolutely dominant. And I don't care if you're running it or throwing it. This guy is an absolute champion at the position, and I, I, I'm going to really enjoy watching this guy play in the NFL, and as I've said many times, you know it. He is my number one guy for the Giants on my radar. Well, I don't think you go wrong with a guy that has that type of physique and that type of a presence, especially if you're looking for somebody to make quite the statement on the offensive line. And to your point, yeah, I think you get a little bit more put under the microscope on the NFL level because even the top defensive pass rushers, you know, they'll be able to pick up on your tendencies and school you, essentially, especially if they get a feel for you after two or three snaps. Maybe you don't see that on the collegiate level, so you're able to sort of not have to have that come back to bite you consistently. So I think that's the biggest difference between what we see where an offensive lineman could cover up some of their issues on the college level versus how all of a sudden they could be exposed in the blink of an eye on the NFL level. Because, listen, we talk about this all the time. Right now, when you look at NFL teams, most of them have two really good pass rushers. So you can't hide an offensive lineman. If they know, hey, the right tackle struggles more in pass protection than the left tackle, they're going to then strategize accordingly, and they're going to put the guy that they think is going to win that one-on-one matchup. They're not going to say, well, we're just going to put our best against their best on the left side. That's not how the NFL operates. I think the game has evolved and changed with respect to that. So that, to me, is, I think, something that some of these top offensive linemen have to be careful with respect to that on the college level, you don't see necessarily two elite pass rushers to the degree that you see on the NFL level. 
I don't think there's any doubt. And and this is why, you know, we, we, we hear so many people all the time say, well, look, it's still a jump. It's, it's still the pros. doesn't matter how many Power 5 teams or programs you may have played during your college career. You still have to make that jump. And, you know, it'll, it'll take him some time. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he'll start week one wherever he gets oh, drafted. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but before you start seeing, you know, the best of him, it's going to take him some games. And there's nothing wrong with that, though. And it's perfectly fine. Look, it yeah. took Andrew Thomas a little sure. while to get his grease going. And once those wheels started to turn, he's, he's all good. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we could see over the course of the first year there's going to be some ups and downs. But I think once you start to get more and more comfortable, I think most offensive linemen will tell you this, then you want to see them start to hit their stride. And I think Andrew Thomas is a good example. Granted, he also dealt with injuries, which I think ate away at his consistency a little bit. When you're not fully healthy, no doubt. it's hard to write, go 100% no doubt. game in and game out. You're healthy, a little bit different. I would say the same thing, not to get off topic, but Makai Becton for the Jets, who's also in this market, he's somebody else that has had to deal with injuries. So you've seen flashes the unfortunate part is just has not been able to stay on the field. So you want, A, to maintain ideal health because that, to me, coincides with the upside and the development of the players. So as long as he can stay on the field, whatever team he winds up with, I think certainly they feel good about what he can become perhaps by the time that first season ends. You know, somebody asked me the other day uh, about these three tackles, and they said, can you kind of compare them a little bit? And the way that I said it was this. Charles Cross is easily the best technician of the group. There's no doubt about that. Everybody understands he is the best pure pass protector of the group. So he'll need a little more beef and strength and anchor as he, you know, helps to uh, block for the run. Iquano needs to just polish up his technique a tad in the pass protection. Okay, fine. Neil is just a big mammoth of a man with a huge wingspan who has played you know, multiple sides, multiple positions, and quite honestly, with his foundation and size and length, it takes people three days and a lunar eclipse to run around him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, they're just one guy's an apple, another guy's an orange, and another guy's a pear, all right? Just whatever flavor of fruit that you want. All three of these guys are going to be great NFL players. Well, speaking of players that have quite the presence on the field, let's now turn our attention to the Purdue class, but on the opposite side from the offensive line. And to get into the Boilermakers, we are now joined by their radio analyst, Pete Quinn. Pete, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Uh, everything is great. Uh, I'm down in Naples, Florida, and it's 86 and sunny. So I have no complaints. Pete, we didn't no, get you on vacation, did we? <laughs> uh, no, no. We, no, this is where I live six months of the year. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, thanks. Hey, that's not a bad way to split up the season. <laughs> you know, you deal with the cold weather when you go to Purdue games, and then you get to relax and unwind in Florida. So I would say that's the best of both worlds, Pete. And clearly, let's start with the top prospect coming out of Purdue, and that is their defensive end, George Karloftis, who has – what a lot of people would say, athletic talent, the ideal length for the position, almost the total package that really makes him so attractive to slide in and make a significant impact in year one. Clearly, he's got the production to back it up, but I'm curious, what else has jumped out to you about his consistency game in and game out as you've watched him develop throughout his career? Uh, George is a really 
interesting player. Purdue's produced a lot of very, very good defensive ends. They had a number one pick, oh gosh, about 12 years ago uh, that ended up becoming Ryan Kerrigan, ended up becoming the all-time leading sack leader for Washington. And they, they've sent a bunch of uh, players into the pros. Anthony Spencer was a first-round pick. Roosevelt Colvin had a great career. Chico Kiefer. They've just had a bunch of very, very good defensive ends. I think George probably has as much or more upside than any of them. And, and what makes him unique is he did not play football as a kid. His uh, father was a uh, college football player, uh, played at Miami. Uh, they moved the family to Greece when they got married. And his father died very young, unexpectedly. And so George came to the United States from Greece when he was about, uh, I think he was an eighth grader, maybe a seventh grader. And he did not play football till his freshman year. But he went to a football camp uh, up, I think it was at IU, Indiana. And he was going into his freshman year and had not played organized football at all and left that camp with about a dozen Division One scholarship offers because his, his stats just leap out at you. Uh, as you mentioned, length, uh, he was the fastest. There's 150 kids at the cl- uh, in the camp somewhere around that area, and he was the fastest kid at the, at the camp. So he's, he's got – he jumps out at you stat-wise, but I think what makes him special is his work ethic – He's still working at the game. He's still learning the game. And when you watched him play throughout his career, he started as a true freshman. Uh, he was, by the third game, he was being double teamed by the end of his freshman, his freshman year. They were devising offenses on how to keep him out of the backfield. So he's got a lot of raw talent. Uh, he's got a great heart. He's very passionate about the game, and he wants to be a great pro. And so whoever gets him, there's a lot of defensive ends that are going to go in the first round. And I've seen him projected anywhere from the, the fourth defensive end to the sixth or seventh. But whoever gets him, they're going to get a steal because I think as good as he was in college, his best years are in front of him. Well, let me ask you this because uh, when, when I look at, at George, now correct me if I'm wrong because the amount of tape that I saw on him – I saw him as a stand-up edge rusher, and I also saw him play some some interior defensive tackle as a three technique. They listed him at 6'4", 265. To me, Pete, I look at him and I say to myself, he's going to be best served as a three technique in a 4-3 defensive line front when he gets to the NFL. Am I am I not seeing that right? I know I know he's really good with his motor and and his power and it, and his technique itself. He really studies the game. You could see that. You know he's not sloppy at all in what he's doing. He seems to know what he's doing out there. But that to me, it would be the way I would use him in the pros. I have the same take. I, I think that's where he's going to excel. I, I think uh, I think he's going to be a very very good pro. And they're going to figure out a defense that's going to make some sense for him. Pete, with respect to pass, um, excuse me, getting after the quarterback versus stopping the run, clearly those are two things that you still want a guy, even if he's known as an edge rusher, to be able to excel in. How would you best assess his ability to stop the run? Because I think if there's any question marks, that probably has been brought to the forefront as opposed to any other facet of his game. 
I, I, and, and it should be because that's something he's such a talented athlete and he, he was such a dominant player at that position. But you would see he would struggle a little bit against the run. But I think that's, that's really more him not playing a lot of football. Uh, he's, only played, uh, he's only played about six years now, and he came out of West Lafayette High School, highly recruited. Uh, I think uh, being from West Lafayette, uh, Purdue had a great edge, obviously, to get him. They, he li- literally lives a stone's throw from the stadium. But Michigan came after him hard. Uh, Ohio State came after him hard. Notre Dame. Uh, he virtually could have gone anywhere he wanted to go. So it's still a great uh, get by uh, Coach Brom to get him there. But he, he got better and better every year against the run, and he's still in the learning mode. A lot of guys, once it, and I was the same way. When I was a senior at Purdue, I'd played football for 11 years. Uh, he's not even close to that. And so he is still learning the game. He will learn a lot in the NFL if he gets in the right uh, program, the right team. They're going to figure out a way to use him. He's going to bring a lot of value. A bit of speculation, Pete. Do you think they'll want him to play at 265? Or do you think they'll kind of change his body type a bit, have him put on maybe 10 pounds and say, look, we're just going to stick you at that tackle spot. Or maybe they want him to lose 10 pounds and ask him to get a little quicker on the edge. Is that a possibility? Uh, The good news with George is uh, whatever they want him to do, whatever they need him (laughs) to do, he'll do it. He, he's, he's just got that work ethic. He's got a younger brother, Yanni, that's uh, going to be a sophomore at Purdue. Didn't play a lot last year, but uh, he's more of a stand-up light, linebacker type. But uh, the one thing that uh, his brother talked about and everybody talked about that was around the program is, is he just has this, this work ethic, and all the great ones do. Uh, you, you hear about it from their teammates. Uh, you, you witness it yourself. I've been doing the radio at Purdue for 30 years, and there's just – certain kids that just have this, this strong desire to, to be a great football player. And the first guy, my first year broadcasting 30 years ago, we had a freshman running back that wasn't really highly recruited, but he was already a legend at, at, around the Purdue circles because of his work ethic, and he became Mike Allstott. And, and Mike, <laughs> I would argue, probably had a better pro career. He had a great college career. I think he even had a better NFL career. I think George has that kind of ability. We're talking with Pete Quinn, Purdue radio analyst. Pete, it's interesting where you were saying that when you look at the big picture perspective, he really hasn't played that much football. And I think maybe some people that are saying to themselves, well, if they want to utilize a relatively high pick on a guy that maybe is just scratching the surface, but there's still question marks, is there a lot of risk involved in that? How much would you weigh the pros and cons to the upside of saying, well, there's a lot more to tap into him versus the risk of whether or not he'll actually reach that potential. Well, you, we, we all know what an inexact science. Sure. They, they've never come up with a test to measure a kid's heart. You know, you can measure his height, his weight. They have all kinds of drills that they can, they can measure him at. But it, it's impossible to measure a kid's heart. And he's just, he's just got that kind of once-in-a-generation once type of a a drive that I think is going to make him a, a value pick no matter how high he goes. And you could see him progressing uh, when he was at Purdue. He played as a true freshman. He started as a true freshman. Uh, he, he came to Purdue early. He, he came the, uh, he got a high school three and a half years, went through spring drills. They were already talking about him being the most dominant player on the defensive side of the football. 
during the spring, so he had the tools. And, and then you just saw him get, get better at the techniques, better at the drive. He's, he's a learner. Uh, he studies the game. I, I don't think there's a lot of downside. And the thing you can't measure is right now George has a strong desire to be the best at, at, at what he does for a living. And you just assume he's going to keep that, but you can't. I don't know that. You don't know that for a fact. I've seen some guys go in the NFL that I thought were no-brainers. Uh, in fact, the Giants drafted one of my teammates that to this day, I said, was the greatest tight end I've ever seen play. And he just didn't have the motivation to take it to the next level and ended up being somewhat of a bust in the NFL. Dave Young. And he was the most dominant. Yeah, <laughs> he was the most dominant tight end I'd ever seen in my life to this day. And Dave had every tool you needed. He just did not have that strong will and desire to, to be a, a dominant player. George does. He's very proud of being a football player, and he wants to be the best there is. So the downsides are real. You know, he, 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 Everything he said, I would agree with. I just think that uh, wherever he goes, he's going to end up being a dominant player and sooner rather than later. Pete, I've got two. He's learned a lot in the last few years. Pete, I got two other people I want to ask you about who are kind of uh, lower third day picks, but I'm intrigued by them because I think if they get in the right spot, they could find themselves on a 53 man roster. Wide receiver David Bell caught over 90 balls this year for over 1,200 yards. And when, when I looked at some of the tape on him, I said, route runner, he's got terrific hands, he's very physical. I get the fact that the speed isn't there, but he offers something as a possession receiver. And then I also think that uh, Xander Horvath, to me, is a West Coast offense kind of fullback who you mentioned Allstat before. If Horvath finds the right system, I think he could give somebody something. Oh, there, there's absolutely no question. Let's let's take them both. Dave Bell was an All-American uh, and earned it. Uh, he was a dominant receiver uh i i wish i could have seen him and rondale more on the field together more uh, because rondale was was such a unique talent in college and i think rondale's gonna have a great nfl career but david i'll, I'll tell you who david reminds me of and i don't say this lightly you know people tend to throw big names out and said this is who they remind me of but if you remember i don't, I don't know how long you've been doing this but i'll never forget uh, the take on Jerry Rice was a great route runner, great hands, uh, fearless, doesn't have great breakaway speed. And, and that's who David reminds me of. He's, he's a great athlete. Uh, he could have played uh, college basketball. He had a lot of offers for basketball. He was the MVP on the state championship team out of Warren Central. And I think that uh, David is going to be, if, he, if somebody can get him in the, in the third round, it could be the steal of the draft. And the other thing about David that makes him very special is David plays through pain, which in today's environment seems to be an exception rather than the rule. And, and he produced. He, was, he always produced when he is out on the field. And uh, ask Iowa fans. He made a career against Iowa. It, it's, the, the kid has been so dominant in so many games. And, and he knows how to play the position. He plays the position like he played basketball. He knows how to shield himself from the defenders, give himself a, a chance at the ball. And any 50-50 ball, he's going to win those 90% of the times. David's going to be a steal for, for somebody. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him go in the second round. 
Xander Horbach really shocks me that that people didn't see what I saw from him since he is a walk-on his freshman year. Uh, he is a physical specimen. I would draft him just to make sure he's the first guy off the bus just to scare the hell out of the other team. <laughs> the kid is just a physical specimen. And uh, he came in the pro day that they had at Purdue a couple weeks ago. I think he opened up a lot of eyes. I think people were surprised at his speed. I think they were surprised at, at the different drills, his leaping ability. He really scored well across the board. But I, I honestly believe that when, when a kid walks on uh, to a program, he carries that with him throughout his career. Even, even though we knew right away he was a player and he was going to be special, he carries that, that. I think we lost Pete. That's what it sounds like. We have like. had trouble with the lines again today. We have. I'm not sure if maybe we could get Pete on the phone again to just wrap up his thought before we part ways with him, or we could maybe leave it at that. We'll see whether or not we could get him back on the line. But obviously he was talking about a few of the other players. David Bell, who he was discussing, the wide receiver, and then he got into Horvath, the fullback. Bell was a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award. So, I mean, you don't just become a finalist by pure chance. I mean, he was extremely productive. He's also very good at separation which sometimes doesn't get enough credit because I think we get too enamored with respect to the numbers. We've so, got him back, Pearson. I we mean, did get him yeah, back? Pearson's okay. got him back. Thank you. Okay, so Pete will allow you to continue your thoughts. You were talking <laughs> about Horvath in terms of breaking him down the fullback. Yeah, he, he was one of those guys you just you would, you would go to the games just to watch him play. And the numbers he produced didn't jump out at you. But you, you always also have to look at, you know, what system he's playing in and, and Purdue's offensive line, well, I think that 2022 they're going to they're gonna put together a pretty good offensive line. That's been, that's been a struggle with them the last couple of seasons. So he did not have a lot of great blocking, but he's a very good receiver. He's a very dependable receiver. Uh, he's a very good blocker, and he's significantly more athletic than people think he is. And so I think that he went, if you would have told people a year ago he'd be drafted, most people would have disagreed with you. I would be shocked if he's not drafted this year, and somebody's going to get a steal. Well, he had some great numbers, to your point, at Purdue's Pro Day. He ran a 40-yard dash, about 4.57 and 31 reps at 230 pounds on the bench. So certainly impressive numbers from that standpoint to support his athleticism perhaps on the next level. And we've seen some versatile fullbacks, especially a Kyle Juszczyk thrive in Kyle Shanahan's system in San Francisco. He is Pete Quinn, Purdue radio analyst. Pete, greatly appreciate the time and the insight, and we look forward to talking down the road. Thanks again. Enjoy the weather, Pete. Thanks. It's a pleasure, guys. Feel free to reach out anytime. Will do. Thanks so much. Pete Quinn joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, breaking down what to expect out of the Purdue Boilermakers class. We've got one more school on tap as we will turn our attention to Montana State momentarily as they have a very, very versatile player who start off at running back and quarterback, transition to linebacker and Really jumps off the page in terms of his athleticism as well, similar to what Pete was talking about in terms of sometimes these overlooked positions and especially guys that are viewed as a jack-of-all-trades. So certainly looking forward to discussing Troy Anderson at greater length as we move forward here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. As far as his points about Purdue, Karloftis, I think once again, there's a lot of appeal, Paul. It's just 
whenever somebody doesn't have a large sample size of playing football, you just you always wonder will it get to that length and that level when he makes it to the NFL? And to Pete's point, will the heart and the desire and the work ethic help launch him to that spot? Well, Lance, this is one of those instances where it's going to be very important that he has a positional coach who is able to bring out that extra level of his play. And I, I, I hate to say this, but there and are— And how he's utilized, by the way, no on question. the NFL level, too. Well, the, that's the coordinator. The yeah. coordinator is going to deal with how he's utilized. It's the position coach who's going to get get that talent to, to bleed through so that he can be effective in whatever system and whatever way they're going to use him. I really see him, as I said, and, and, and Pete agreed, I see him as a 4-3, three-technique defensive tackle. I do not see him as an NFL edge rusher at least not consistently. You may stick him out there every once in a while for a change of pace, but I don't see him as that kind of player. So for me, for me, those people who kind of have earlier in, during the spring and winter were saying, okay, maybe he's got to be you know, between 10 and 15, I don't know that I'd pick him that high because I don't see him as a dynamic NFL pass rusher. That doesn't mean that over time they can't do something with him to maybe get him there. But I just think his skill set is, is suited more to be, a, to be a, an inside guy than an outside guy for me. Well, speaking of inside-outside, let's turn our attention to a player that actually played in both of those spots and it seems every other angle of the football field as we talk about Montana State's prospects. And to get more into that, Victor Flores, who covers Montana State football for 406 MT Sports, joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Victor, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. Hope all is well. How are things on your end? Good, good. Thanks for, for having me. I, I, I'm really uh, I'm always excited to talk about Montana State. Absolutely. Well, let's start with Troy Anderson, who I had mentioned. And for our audience that may not be familiar, he's got a very interesting story. So I want to start there because you don't hear many players, Victor, that start at quarterback and running back, thrive in both of those positions, and then all of a sudden during the course of their career they become a full-time <laughs> linebacker. And I know he actually also got snaps at linebacker while he was playing on the offensive side of the ball. So what led the coaching staff, what led him to ultimately say as he got midway through his career, you know what? Now I think my best fit is full-time linebacker. Yeah, he was recruited mainly as a, as a linebacker. Um, that was kind of the position he was meant to play or that they hoped for him to play. And, and he, um, you know, and then they had needs on offense, basically, was how, was how it kind of went. Uh, that You know, uh, the running back kind of linebacker in his first year, his freshman year, and, and he, uh, you know, rushed for 500-plus yards. Uh, and then, then they said, hey, you know, like, let's, we need a quarterback uh, as a sophomore and, and don't have a great option. And Jeff Choate, the coach of the time, said, you know, hey, Troy Anderson's our best athlete. Let's put him um, back there and see how he does. And um, a limited passer for sure, but but set uh, the program record that still stands for rushing touchdowns in a season, um, rushed for 1,000-plus yards, was, was an All-American, um, uh, just kind of um, one of those athletes that, um, the, the the open field speed, uh, the straight line speed is just um, unbelievably impressive. So he was just a hard guy, even if you knew he was going to run uh, to to take down, um, and and a huge guy too, as as you guys certainly know. And and um, so he he kind of actually switched back to his more natural position. Um, he even as a as a junior in 2019, still uh, 
played some offense, but was mainly an outside linebacker. So um, they really um, just he was kind of just like kind of in high school where you know your best athlete just sort of plays every position was, was sure. kind of how he was early on. You mentioned the speed, Victor. I saw a clocking on him. Uh, 6'4", 235, running a 4'4", which, my goodness, uh, that's going to impress anybody. But, but I do have to ask, as incredibly versatile as he's been, the fact that he was unable to hone in on one position, specifically, I, I think he's going to wind up being an inside linebacker in a 3-4 when he gets to the NFL. At least that will be his primary position. He may wind up playing three or four others. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, when he gets to the league, because he has played so many different positions and devoted so much time to those other ones, is it possible he's going to be behind in terms of polishing the skills at the place they want him to play? I think that's that's definitely probably the biggest concern, maybe other than health right now. Um, and that is that is something I think that teams, you know, should be mindful of and, and are mindful of is is he's, you know, he hasn't stuck at one position and 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 he definitely showed has shown. Um, and draft experts will tell you. I mean, he doesn't look polished as an inside linebacker or as polished as you'd like a you know a, a high pick to be. Um, so the fact that he's you know still going to be a high pick just shows how or, you know, second, third round picks still shows how, you know, good of an athlete and how promising he is. And I think he's a guy who can adapt pretty quickly by, by just, you know, his college career and what coaches and, and experts and, and scouts say of him. But, um, but yeah, that, that is certainly something that, that, you know, he uh, could, could work on. And I think that's why he'll be a, a really important special teams player starting out because that's one where he can, he can kind of work on his inside linebacker game, but, but really thrive as a, as a good special teams player while, while he figures that out. Well, and I think that's a great point, Victor, also because you're looking for athletes on special teams, guys that could do a little bit of everything, coverage and stopping big plays from happening. So I think he's appealing from that standpoint. Whenever we talk about FCS players, I think the million-dollar question is, were they just so much better than the talent that they were going up against, or is it something that they can now continue to stand out on the NFL level? And I think based on some of the all-star games that he took part in the senior bowl, I think that maybe quieted some of the skeptics, Victor, to say, hey, you know, this is not just a guy standing out among some questionable athletes. This is somebody that actually could hold his own against other NFL talent. How much do you think taking part in some of these all-star events really helped his stock and lessened some of the questions that may be surrounding him? I think it was was one of maybe the biggest reason um, that he's now a second, third round projection is, is because of especially the senior bowl. Um, that, so I talked to, to um, Jim Nagy from the senior bowl and he said, you know, he told me that that was um, one of the, you know, that was kind of the big question to answer. And he really answered it. Um, other draft experts um, talked about how, you know, that's, that, that was when they really started to say, okay, this guy's for real. Um, similar to Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, kind of, uh, okay, we know he's standing out on film, um, you know, Dane Brugler from the Athletics told me, you know, to, these guys, you know, at the FS level, you really want to see them kind of stand out on film. You know, the, clearly the best player, somebody who you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't uh, ignore, somebody who, who's who's impossible to miss. And, and Troy Anderson definitely did that. So he just needed to prove, you know, to, to show up. I don't think anybody was necessarily surprised, um, especially when you see he's running faster than every linebacker in the combine, and um, and, and he and he has the just that kind of um, competitiveness and, and um, intelligence and, and, um, and just a hard-hitting ability, too, that, that it was that it was thinking, like, it'd be weird if he wasn't um, quite up to that level. Um, but, uh, but yes, I mean, 
until you actually see him performing with FBS players, it, it's impossible to to know for sure. So that Senior Bowl was was crucial for no no doubt. Victor, a friend of mine uh, who's a scout uh, knew we were going to have you on today to talk about Troy Anderson, and he said, "Listen." Uh, don't spend all your time on him because there's somebody else you need to take a look at. And he sent me some video cut up on Daniel Hardy. And I watched this, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I looked up his stats, and I looked up his measurables. And what did I see? 6'2", 235. Guy has 24 and a half tackles for a loss last year. 16 and a half sacks last year. His motor runs as hot as a volcano. And then I check out a 40-inch vertical, a 10-7 broad jump, and an 80-plus-inch wingspan. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Why has nobody heard of this guy? He obviously dominated at the FCS level. Now, he was down as a defensive end when he played there. I think he's going to wind up being a 3-4 stand-up edge rusher in the NFL who's just going to come downhill constantly rushing the quarterback. I don't think you're going to put him in coverage or do anything of that nature. He's not a true outside linebacker. But he has this this proclivity of getting to the quarterback. Yeah, he's uh, he, he yeah, I think you're right in the in the NFL PA Bowl he was uh, stood at, stood up at linebacker for a lot of that game so I think it kind of shows where he'll be. Obviously the size would be hard for a you know a hand in the ground linebacker or, or defensive end I should say, uh, but he's I mean the the athleticism I mean almost honestly might have been even more impressive than Troy Anderson watching him all last season, um, you know and also just an incredibly hard hitter I mean he was the best special teams uh, kickoff player um, he would run down and he had some of the hardest hits I've ever seen um, just a competitive you know fiery guy who just has the athleticism to go with it I mean again. Talk about, you know, an NFL prospect just like Troy Anderson. I mean, you have that combination of athleticism and, and, uh, and fire. I mean, that's, it's hard to, to see that necessarily not succeeding. And I think only his tweener size is really and, – and the fact that before last season, Daniel Hardy was, was pretty much an unknown and a really raw, um, you know, talented guy but, but small and, and couldn't really – you know, wasn't a great rusher, um, wasn't very skilled technically at that. And he really – I mean, as, as the stats show, he, he – grew, you know, a, a thousand inches this last year as far as that. And, and um, I think, you know, you could honestly look at the film. I don't know if you could say he or Trey Anderson was more uh, impressive. And I think his, see, watching him at Pro Day do that 40-inch vertical, I mean, it wasn't just the, you know, the, the number itself, but the fact that he was, uh, you know, screamed in excitement after he, he completed that. I mean, he just has this fire that, um, that really, I mean, I, I haven't seen matched by almost anybody that I've covered. So, uh, yeah, I, I think... I would be shocked if um, I, I think you know he might. Whether or not he gets drafted is, is tough, but I would be shocked if he doesn't uh, stick on a roster for for a while. Well, Victor, before we let you go, we're talking with Victor Flores, who covers Montana State football for four hundred six MT Sports. You just mentioned you're not a hundred percent sure whether or not Hardy would be drafted, and I've been hearing if there's anybody else from Montana State that could be selected, it would all likelihood be him. But I'm curious now that pro day wrapped up for Montana State, what are you hearing buzz wise about Troy Anderson and how high he could potentially go, and the turnout overall that you saw in terms of NFL representation at Montana State's Pro Day? Yeah, there were 20 teams represented um, at, at the Pro Day. Um, so, um, and, you know, the fact that he only did um, the, the, the shuttle and the, um, it, you know, some of the, just a couple of those uh, in position drills, short shuttle, and then 
um, the three cone were, were, the, were the only drills he did. He didn't do bench press. Um, he, he had a kind of a nagging injury that he wasn't able to really train for it, he said. So he, he kind of skipped that. So there wasn't a ton. He didn't, you know, he did the 40 at the combine. So there wasn't a ton for him. So the fact that 20 teams were still there was pretty uh, indicative of, of what teams think of him. Um, I've heard a, a lot of people have kind of said, you know, second round seems like kind of a likely spot for him. I, it seems like some mock drafts and things of that nature are sort of sort of around the third round too. It, it's tough to tell with with those how indicative those are. But but from people I've talked to and just the buzz, it, it seems third or, or second round. You know, day two has kind of been his projection for a long time, and he's done nothing um, to, to hurt that. Um, and I, I don't think first round with a guy that we talked about who's raw at, at that position or relatively new at that position and, and didn't play it that much. I don't think first round would. Would make uh, would, 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 that would be very surprising, but um, again, he's he's athletic enough that that anywhere in those top three rounds would would make sense, and so yeah. But I, I'd say you know day two for sure is, is pretty much I'd say a lock right now. Victor, one more quick one for me, and it speaks to the depth of this wide receiver class because Lance McCutcheon also seems to me like a guy who's going to get some looks. I looked at almost twenty yards a catch. His route running was terrific. He was terrific at contested catches. Did a really, really super job at, at fighting people for a football. I got to think he's going to wind up in a camp as well, even if it, he turns out to be a seventh rounder or a free agent. This this is basically telling you this kind of caliber of player, the fact that he's going to be so low or not drafted, tells you how many good receivers are coming out this year. Yeah, no question. Um, I think, you know, Dane Brugler's uh, draft guy, he has him 58th uh, in his receiver class, and he's a guy who. Um, was I think the only thing people kind of questioned about him was was his kind of speed and athleticism, his explosiveness, and he ran a, a four five three at the at the pro day. There's nothing wrong um, with that, which is yeah. I mean that's that's and that was kind of I think the higher end of what maybe people expected. So the fact that he's able to you know run faster than Cooper Cup did, guys like that, and the fact that he's his best skills was was winning contested battles. I mean he you know you just threw it up to him and he would find a way to come down with it. It was it almost looked like he was playing against high school kids i mean it was hard to imagine this guy who isn't you know freakishly large um or, or have amazing jumping ability um was able to do that so he is a knack for the ball um he just is he, such a you know another competitive guy who um who was nobody really before this year and then set a, set a program record for receiving yards um in a season and um, just again he was unstoppable with with anybody you put on him unless you doubled him and, and even then he was still able to I mean, he's by far and away the, the best receiver. So, yeah, I, I think he and, and then Lewis Kidd, uh, an offensive lineman, I think those two are a couple under the radar, you know, guys who, who won't get drafted almost certainly. But um, but I could see, you know, getting into camp and, and really impressing guys and once they kind of show they can do it against uh, NFL caliber talent. He is Victor Flores, covers Montana State football for 406 MT Sports. Victor, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Look forward to talking down the road. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Victor. Good stuff. Yes. Thanks, guys. You got it. Our pleasure. So, Victor Flores breaking down the Montana State group of prospects. Obviously, Troy Anderson is the player to watch. There's a chance maybe one, two guys other than him get drafted, but in all likelihood, Troy Anderson is going to be the big name that comes out of this class with the highest upside and the highest potential. A few reminders that we want to throw out here to Giants fans. Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to 
Ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you could place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you could visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. So before we wrap things up, a lot that we unraveled over the course of this program, Paul, in terms of three schools and what they have to offer. As far as Montana State, as Victor said, Troy Anderson's come a long way, and the fact that over 20 NFL teams showed up at the Pro Day when he barely did much of anything, I think tells you all you need to know (laughs) about what jumps out to a lot of these NFL teams based on what they've seen on film. But also, as I was talking with Victor earlier, I do think the senior bowl made a huge statement in terms of what he could do. Well, he passed on an invitation to go to the Shrine game to go to the senior bowl because he knew that that was the all-star game that carries the most cachet. And figured that if he went there, it would be more impressive and he would garner more respect from the NFL scouts to do that. And obviously, it was the right decision. Now, I will tell you this, and I'll bet you a salad in the lunchroom on this one, Lance. Wherever he lands in the NFL, he's going to get some goal line reps as a fullback. I'm sure of it. Whoever well, he played running back. You know, <laughs> so, whoever yeah. it is, whatever head coach it is, they're going to give him some reps as a fullback and goal line. I don't think there is any doubt in my mind about that. We will hear of this guy as a dual threat once he gets to the pros. I would be stunned, Paul, if a team that drafts him doesn't have that, at least on the back burner, mm-hmm. to say, you know what, let's test this guy out in training camp and let's see what he could do because he's got the experience. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if they run a trick play where he's the passer in some capacity, given the fact that he played quarterback. You know what? That's taking it to another level, Lance. Well, so maybe it's true. I mean, he is 6'4". Let me make something clear to folks. I don't know if we gave him the number. 6'4", 235. Okay? Now, if you're at a short yardage or a goal line situation, with his experience as a runner, or for that matter, you could even use him as a blocking fullback. Yeah. Okay? I don't think there's any doubt that considering the versatility factor where coaches are so happy to have guys who can do multiple things, especially in today's specialized NFL, you, you'll, you'll see him on offense at some point. I don't think, I don't think either one of us uh, would be stretching to say that at no, all. No, I'm actually I'm even maybe more confident than you in terms of him being utilized as an offensive <laughs> player in the NFL. No, that was the one thing that jumped out to me when I was studying up on him. I said, I think you'd be crazy if you didn't try to tap into that potential. Because the, the other thing that came to mind, Paul, is, and we were talking with Victor about this, special teams – couldn't you put him on like a fake punt and then have him throw the ball if you needed to convert on a fourth down or something like that? No doubt. Especially with his ability to throw the ball. To make him the personal protector for the punter. Exactly. But oh, you Feagles line him would up love there. this. Feagles well, needs to get on this conversation. Yeah. No, no, but Paul, you line him up there, but then obviously it's a, it's a disguise and then you have him throw the football or something like well, that. Well, believe you me, I don't think he'd hesitate to run with it either. Sure. Well, that's another option. That's why, to me, I think if you're – planning to draft him as high as what we were just discussing not to say that it wouldn't warrant it as if he's solely a linebacker with potential but I think what makes him more attractive is the more and more we've seen in recent NFL play is that 
players that have experience or transfer their skill set to another position, teams still want to put them back in their old original position when it comes to the NFL. The more you could do, right, Lance? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually, real quick, one player that comes to mind. The name is escaping me. A Ravens tight end who also played on the defensive side of the ball. There was a player oh that they yeah. were experimenting with. I remember. Once again, name is escaping me. Oh, Patrick Richard. Yes, yes, That's who yes, yes. is also that two-way player, uh -huh. Paul. That, once again, I'm not saying he's Troy Anderson. Don't misinterpret it. But he's somebody that they've utilized on both sides of the ball through his evolution as an Indeed. NFL guy. Yeah, so that's certainly somebody to watch out for as we move forward here. All right, that is going to wrap up. Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live will be back on Wednesday at noon Eastern. We also have three more schools that we're going to preview tomorrow. So as we inch closer to the draft, a lot of prospects to still put under the microscope. So stay tuned for that. We certainly appreciate everybody tuning in as we look further through the lens of the NFL draft. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you Wednesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.